Hey folks, listen up. I want to tell you about this amazing service called OneRep. OneRep removes your private information from Google and more than 150 people search sites. If you've ever gone through the painstaking task of requesting for those people search sites like PeopleFinder to remove your information, then you know firsthand how sucky that is. And if you haven't done it before, then you're leaving your privacy up for grabs. Herein enters OneRep. OneRep will do all the heavy lifting for you so that you never have to bother sending in any letters of request or submitting a form online. They even send you a detailed report every month that tells you exactly how many sites your information has been found on, how many sites it has been removed from, and how many more are left to go. And here's the best part for me. You can even protect your family of up to six people by choosing OneRep's family plan. This is what I use to protect my family's privacy and I could not be happier. So I want to extend this offer for you to try OneRep for yourself and get up to 60% off. You heard that right. I said 60%, not five, not 10, but 60. Take advantage of this discount and click on the link in the show notes to start securing your privacy today. Today's episode takes place in Cleveland, a metropolitan city situated in Northeast Ohio that runs along the bottom shore of Lake Erie. Founded in the late 1790s, Cleveland was named after General Moses Cleveland. It was originally spelled with an A between the first E and the V, like the general surname. But in 1831, the Cleveland Advertiser, a weekly publication, dropped the redundant A and so was born the Cleveland, sans A, we know today. No strangers to the ups and downs of history, Clevelanders have seen their fair share of monumental moments. One such moment was the crack epidemic that swept through the nation well into the 90s, the effects of which can still be seen today. However, in 1984, believe it or not, the violent crime rate actually decreased slightly that year, but residents of the city still faced far too many robberies, assaults, and homicides due to the rise of drug-related activity. The city fought the supposed war on drugs, but drugs weren't the only things to worry about. There were also plenty of predators on the prowl looking for vulnerable victims like the teenage girl in today's episode. Her story reminds me so much of Nicole's story, which is featured in episode 18. When 14-year-old Gloria Pointer left for school, she was excited to receive her perfect attendance award and play in her first basketball game of the season. Only, Gloria never made it to school that day. Her abnormal absence led to the discovery of her body and marked the beginning of a three-decade-long search for her killer. I'm Renetta Rideout, and this is Misogynoir Murder.
It was a typical cold Thursday morning in Cleveland on December 6, 1984. Snow blanketed the ground outside in all its wintertime glory. Yvonne Pointer, her husband and two children, readied themselves inside the warmth and coziness of their home, preparing for the day ahead. This particular morning was a special one for Yvonne's oldest child, 14-year-old Gloria, who was excited to receive her Perfect Attendance Award at Harry E. Davis Junior High School. On top of that, she was stoked about playing in her first official basketball game with her new team. It was to be the most wonderful day. School wasn't a pain in the neck for Gloria like it was for a lot of other kids. You see, she really liked school, and she had dreams of doing something big and special with her life. And school was basically the launch pad to all of those great things. At about five minutes to seven, Gloria called her best friend and schoolmate, whom I'll call Jessica for this episode. She asked Jessica if she could borrow a decorative hair comb to don her hair for the award assembly. Naturally, her BFF said yes, and the two girls agreed to meet up at Jessica's house and walk to school together. So not long past seven o'clock, Gloria and her family left their home with Yvonne, her husband, and their son heading off in one direction and Gloria in the opposite. As Gloria walked down the street, Yvonne called out to her, questioning why she was taking that route to her friend's house. The way Gloria was heading was actually a shortcut kids often took to cut across to the school faster. But Yvonne didn't like for Gloria to walk that way because it was really a back alley route that wasn't safe for kids, let alone her kid. But Gloria ignored her mom's inquiry and continued down her desired route. I imagine Gloria rolled her eyes and maybe sighed under her breath like, come on mom, I'm 14 and it'll only take five minutes. What's the worst that could happen? Yvonne didn't press the issue and went on about her business, trusting that all would be well as it always had been. At approximately 7.45, Deshaun Haley, Gloria's secret boyfriend, waited for her at the lockers at their usual meetup spot at school. You see, Gloria wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend, so she was careful to keep that part of her life quite hidden from her mom. So no, Deshaun wouldn't show up and walk Gloria to school from home, but they had a daily arrangement that included beginning their school days together at the lockers. So when she didn't show up, he became worried. Meanwhile, back at Jessica's house, time ticks closer to eight o'clock and now she's starting to worry because Gloria should have been there by now. It's not like Gloria to say she'll be there and then not show up, but it was getting late and Jessica had to get to school. She hoped she'd bump into Gloria and learn that perhaps Gloria changed her mind and decided she didn't need the comb after all and just decided to head straight to school. But when Jessica arrived at school and didn't see Gloria there ready to accept her award, she knew in her gut something was wrong. Concerned, Jessica told school officials that Gloria was a no-show at her house and at school. Now, by this time, Jessica had met up with Deshaun and learned that he was also looking for Gloria. This was all very out of character for cheerleading, basketball-playing, student council member, excellent student Gloria. So the school called Yvonne at home. It was about 8 o'clock when Yvonne received the unexpected call from school. The caller asked Yvonne if Gloria had already left her school. 
Now, this was a surprising question because Yvonne knew Gloria left early so that she could meet up with Jessica. But apparently Jessica arrived at school without Gloria. Immediately, Yvonne's worst fear began bubbling inside her stomach and she knew that if her daughter failed to show up to school, that meant something or someone stopped her. Of course, she tried not to jump to any conclusions, but what else could she do after having received a call like that? The school administrator ended the call telling Yvonne that they would look for Gloria on campus one more time and give her a call back. Meanwhile, back at school, news that Gloria was MIA spread like wildfire among her friends and teachers. The principal was concerned enough that he made a PA announcement asking that if Gloria was at school, that she'd come to the office immediately. Everyone looked high and low for her, and her friends got together to see if any of them saw Gloria at all that morning. They soon realized that one of Gloria's friends, Lamar Thomas, actually did see her when he was leaving his house at about 7.45. Lamar saw her walking and talking with someone he didn't recognize, and he watched the two of them for a second. They were walking away from the school together. Lamar did think it was odd because Gloria wasn't known to ditch school or mess around like that, but he just chalked it up to them messing around and killing some time before class. So he went on about his business and figured he'd see Gloria at school, but that never happened. Now it's 9.15 and crystal clear that Gloria is not on the school grounds. So the principal called Yvonne back to tell her she needed to call the police. But just as Yvonne dialed 911, someone else was making an awful discovery in the basement of an abandoned building near the school. There, at the bottom of the stairs, lay the broken body of a teenage girl. Within a couple of hours, the area surrounding the school was occupied by police, and by 11.30, detectives arrived on scene. Near the young victim's body, they found her backpack and student ID. Sadly, they confirmed the victim was driven, dependable, fun-loving Gloria. News about Gloria's death spread throughout the school quickly, leaving students shocked and dismayed. They couldn't believe that Gloria had been murdered. I mean, she just made arrangements to walk to school with her best friend and planned to meet up with her boyfriend. How could she be dead and murdered at that? Gloria's friends and classmates huddled together in an attempt to comfort each other, but that was an impossible task. Deshaun mentioned during an interview on the Dateline series Last Day that he simply couldn't handle the truth about Gloria's death. It devastated him in a way that is indescribable even now. He said he ran out of the school hoping the crisp, fresh air outside would help him regain his footing. But instead of finding some relief, he saw officials carting the body of his beloved girlfriend away. It's an image he has never forgotten. Now that detectives finished their initial survey of the crime scene, it was time to notify Gloria's family about the worst news imaginable. Detective Janice Abernathy was one of the detectives assigned to Gloria's homicide investigation and she and her partner had the terrible duty to tell Yvonne that her precious daughter had been murdered. Upon hearing the news, Yvonne collapsed, unable to bear the weight of those heavy words. Dead? Murdered? How could that be? 
How could her baby be murdered? It was completely unfathomable, and yet this was the new reality for everyone. The one question that swirled in everyone's minds was, who would do such a thing to this child? In order to find out, detectives had to retrace Gloria's steps from that fateful morning. To begin, Detective Abernathy literally retraced Gloria's footsteps beginning at 7 a.m. Detective Abernathy drove her car down the isolated alley Gloria walked the morning she disappeared. It definitely wasn't the sort of place any parent would want their kids playing, but it appeared to be a well-known shortcut that folks in the neighborhood used to cut through to get to their destinations faster. As she continued retracing Gloria's steps, she came across a woman who happened to be a teacher at Gloria's school. The teacher stated that she saw Gloria with someone, a guy, on December 6th at about 7.10. This stuck out to the teacher because she remembers telling her husband that she wondered what Gloria was up to so early, not knowing about her plans to meet Jessica. As detectives continued following Gloria's route, they questioned community members about anything they might have noticed that morning and it turns out that a number of people remembered seeing Gloria walking with a man, but they weren't close enough to get a good look at him. Besides, it was in the dead of winter, so everyone had on big coats, hats, gloves, and other cold weather attire, so witnesses could only make out that he was a black male. They also mentioned that they never got the impression that Gloria was in danger, uncomfortable, or even bothered by her companion. She didn't give any indication that she wanted him to go away, at least not according to any of the folks who saw her, including her friend Lamar. Those who saw Gloria with the unknown man weren't worried about her, but generally all were curious about what she was doing with that guy. While detectives kept looking for clues and leads to investigate, the community was on edge because there was definitely something terrible happening to black girls. Gloria's murder was the fourth 14-year-old girl to be murdered within the last three months, and people were terrified. It was bad enough there was gang and drug violence around, but someone, or multiple people, were abducting, raping, and murdering young girls, and people just wanted their children to be safe. Now, perhaps your mind went where mine did, and you may wonder whether or not Cleveland had a serial killer running around killing black girls. And you know what? I'm not informed enough to say there was or wasn't. What I can say is that at least half of the girls who were murdered were not connected. So, it could go either way, to be honest. In the days following Gloria's murder, the medical examiner confirmed what detectives already saw evidence of. Gloria had been viciously sexually assaulted and then brutally beaten to death. It's hard to believe that someone, another human being, would do something so heinous, but I know, I know, I know, by this time, I really shouldn't be surprised. Humans are literally the worst things on the planet, with few things off limits to us. Some people simply aren't happy unless they're ruining the lives of other people. But I digress. As you can probably imagine, 
Yvonne was just wrecked inside over what happened to her daughter, and she vowed to find Gloria's killer, but she was terrified. She didn't feel safe anywhere, including her home, unless it was her church. She had no clue who killed Gloria, and not knowing made everyone a suspect in her eyes. The only place she found peace and comfort were the pews of her church, and she promised Gloria that she would find who did this to her, who did this to their family. Unfortunately, her feelings of fear and discomfort were exacerbated by the fact that the investigation into Gloria's murder turned to Yvonne's husband, Gloria's stepfather, whom I'll call James for this episode. Detectives uncovered that James was not among Gloria's favorite people, or even someone that she particularly liked. The two of them could never really see eye to eye, and there was always tension between them. So when he appeared cold and generally unbothered by Gloria's murder, detectives decided to give James some much needed attention. At first, detectives wondered if maybe James's cold heart was that of a killer, but there was a problem. Remember, Yvonne and their son all left the house with Gloria that morning, and Yvonne was with James as he made his newspaper deliveries which was during the window of time that Gloria was killed. Sure, he may have been a jerk, but he wasn't responsible for Gloria's death. With James crossed off their list, detectives continued questioning people close to her, and next up was her boyfriend, Deshaun. Since Deshaun's relationship with Gloria was a secret kept from her mom, police wondered if maybe Deshaun was the mystery man witnesses saw with Gloria on that morning. So the police brought Deshaun in for questioning. And remember, he was just a young kid, 14 or 15 years old too. He was already so distraught about his girlfriend's murder, but to be questioned like he killed her added a new layer of anxiety. Police questioned him for hours, and they asked the same questions over and over and over again. Sure, they'd remix them a little bit, hoping to catch him in a lie, but no matter how many ways they asked their questions, Deshaun's answers never changed. He maintained his stance that he was at school and that he cared deeply for Gloria and would never hurt her. Besides, Plenty of people at school saw him there, waiting by the lockers per usual for Gloria. So eventually, the police had to move on. It was pretty clear that Deshaun also was not Gloria's killer. This had to be frustrating for detectives who were highly motivated to find whoever did kill Gloria, but this is how investigations go. With the boys and the men closest to Gloria crossed off the list, investigators widened their net and a new person of interest surfaced. A neighbor whom I'll call Jeff was weird to say the least and known in the neighborhood to frequently make inappropriate generalized comments about women and our bodies. In other words, he was really off-putting to other neighbors, including Yvonne, who was already suspicious of everyone. I mean, he clearly has boundary issues, so in Yvonne's mind, it wasn't so left field to think this guy could be the guy police were searching for. After all, at Gloria's funeral on December 11th, 
This dude kissed Gloria's lips as she lay in her casket. Yeah, talk about raising some red flags. And believe me, police were on him like white on rice. They scooped him up right after the funeral for an in-depth interview at the station. Detectives thought maybe his audacity to kiss Gloria in front of everyone had a deeper meaning. But after the intense interview, police determined that while the man was weird at best or mentally ill at worst, he was not Gloria's killer. With another person crossed off the list, hope was beginning to waver until another person came under the microscope of the investigation, and he was much more than a person of interest. This guy became the first full-blown suspect. On the night of December 6th, the evening of the same day Gloria was killed, an 11-year-old girl was attacked at about 6.30 near Gloria's school too. It was a cold evening with snow and ice everywhere, when the man approached the child in his car, he quickly grabbed her and pulled her into the vehicle. He was bold as fuck too because her mom was right there. The woman chased after the car on foot and by the grace of God, the road was slick with ice and the predator's car lost its traction on the street. Not skipping a beat, the girl's mother screamed and commanded her daughter to jump out of the vehicle which she miraculously managed to do just as the man gained control of the car again. In fact, as the child landed on the ground, one of her legs was in a vulnerable position just in front of one of the tires. When the man started forward to speed off, he ran over the girl's leg. While all this was going on, two witnesses worked together to get the license plate number, and that is what led police straight to him. The girl and her mother managed to identify the attacker. His name was Romel Broom, and the police wasted no time at all in arresting him for trying to kidnap that girl. In the detective's eyes, Romel looked perfect for Gloria's murder in every way. On top of attacking that little girl, he also had other sexual assaults on his criminal record. I mean, he was a bad dude, and his rap sheet alone had some of the detectives working Gloria's case convinced that he was their guy. But Detective Abernathy wasn't so sure. She simply wasn't convinced that Rommel killed Gloria, but wanting to leave no stone unturned, investigators turned any and everything about this guy inside out and upside down. They even went back to those witnesses who saw Gloria and the mystery man just to see if any of them could identify Romel as the man who was last seen with Gloria. And wouldn't you know, two of the witnesses actually identified him. As exciting as it was to have a couple of people positively ID Romel, detectives also knew that sometimes witness accounts aren't 100% reliable, especially considering that the man who'd been with Gloria couldn't be seen very well to begin with. But what's more than that is the investigation so far hadn't turned up any evidence linking Ramel to the murder or to Gloria at all. However, there was enough evidence to charge him for the murder of another girl. On September 21st, two and a half months before Gloria's murder, 14-year-old Trina Middleton was abducted and killed. She'd been walking home with two girlfriends 
when they noticed they were being followed by a car. The girls knew they were in danger, so they turned down a different street, hoping to shake the car and get home safely. But the driver anticipated the girls' intention, and he blocked their exit. He got out of the car wielding a knife and forced Trina to go with him. Not long after she'd been abducted, her body was found sexually assaulted and stabbed seven times. The police hadn't found Trina's killer until December 6th when he tried to abduct and likely rape and murder that 11-year-old child. Rommel was eventually convicted of Trina's murder on October 3rd, 1985 and was sentenced to death. With Rommel finally off the streets of Cleveland and behind bars where he belonged, detectives continued their hunt to find Gloria's killer. Even though Rommel seemed like the guilty party, there was still no evidence linking him to Gloria's murder. As you can imagine, the not knowing was eating at Yvonne. So she made a decision to write to Rommel and ask him herself if he killed her daughter. Yvonne wrote letter after letter, year after year, but Rommel never responded, not even once. As the years following Gloria's murder went from one to two to five and beyond, Yvonne did what a lot of parents do who have lost their children. She turned to advocacy and community leadership. She had a mission to help make her community a safer place for everyone. She knew that drugs, gang violence, and general poor home life contributed to a lot of the violent crime suffered in the area. So she started a midnight basketball league. The hope was that giving the boys and young men something fun and productive to do during the hours when most of the violent crime took place would curtail the violence in the community. And it did. Crime began to reduce. And before anyone knew it, Yvonne was seen as a matriarch of the community. She mothered many children in need offering comfort, support, or resources to help lessen the burdens faced by her community members. Even as Yvonne's notoriety rose due to her amazing community work, she never lost sight of her promise to find Gloria's killer. With that singular promise in mind, it was paramount that Yvonne fostered and nurtured a healthy and respectful relationship with the police department investigating. Yvonne made it her mission to introduce herself to each new police chief and new detective assigned to her daughter's case. She presented herself as an ally and supporter who only wanted to help them find whoever took Gloria's life. Yvonne also wanted to make it known that Gloria was not forgotten and that as long as she had air in her lungs, she'd make nice and show her face to keep Gloria in the minds of investigators throughout the years. Time continued onward, and by now, more than 20 years had passed. Eventually, Gloria's cold case was brought off the shelf and new life was breathed into it. The prosecutor's office got its first cold case squad and all the resources to go with it to solve long-standing cold cases. Gloria's murder was among the first cases reviewed by this special unit. Thankfully, most of the evidence collected back in 1984, surprisingly, had been very well preserved, which just blew my mind because that doesn't often happen. Oftentimes, evidence from old cases is lost or damaged in some way, but that wasn't the case this time. And now that it was well into the 2000s, a lot had changed since 1984. 
DNA testing was now a thing and a regular part of criminal investigation. So with that saved evidence, scientists were able to build a partial DNA profile in 2009. Unfortunately, many years had passed since the biological sample was collected, so its potency had deteriorated so much that the profile created wasn't really strong, but it was better than nothing. This partial profile gave detectives something to work with, so they went back to Gloria's family, friends, and acquaintances and asked them all to voluntarily submit their DNA to be compared and everyone willingly did so, including Deshaun, Gloria's boyfriend. None of the people who submitted their swab matched the profile detectives had, and while the killer wasn't revealed, a lot of people who may have been living under a cloud of doubt, like Deshaun, were officially ruled out as persons of interest. Deshaun, like many people who knew Gloria, was horribly impacted by her murder and the ensuing investigation. He tried to move on with his life, but no matter what he did, he never felt quite free from the looks and the whispers from those in the community. Having been 100% cleared, all doubts about Deshaun had been officially put to bed. The next thing detectives did was compare Ramel Broom's DNA to the new profile they had. But again, they struck out when his DNA wasn't a match either. Now, this wasn't a surprise to Detective Abernathy, who was now retired, but many other detectives who truly believed Rommel was guilty were shocked to learn he also wasn't Gloria's killer. Meanwhile, Rommel's execution day approached and Yvonne took another chance and sent another letter begging him to please tell her if he was responsible for her daughter's murder. And this time, he actually wrote back. On September 15, 2009, the day of Rommel's state execution, Yvonne received his letter. He convincingly wrote that he did not kill Gloria, finally giving Yvonne the answer she needed to fully close the door on her suspicions of him. In a random side note about Rommel, he was supposed to be executed all that day, but that never happened because they couldn't find a viable vein for his lethal injection. So he was granted a reprieve. Rommel eventually died of COVID-19 in December 2020. His rap sheet at the time of his death consisted of aggravated murder, two counts of kidnapping, two counts of attempted kidnapping, two counts of rape, and aggravated robbery. In 2013, Gloria's aunt, Sylvia Pointer, read an article about breakthrough DNA development that was responsible for getting many cold cases solved. She took it upon herself to write to the reporter of the story, a Rachel DeSell, who set the ball in motion to get the partial DNA profile done in 2009, entered into the DNA index, and boom, they finally got a hit. The DNA belonged to 58-year-old Hernandez Warren, a black man born and raised in Cleveland. Turns out, not only did the DNA match, but Hernandez also had a criminal history of violence and served 16 years in prison for rape and assault. Now he was out of prison and living among the community he terrorized before. Although, from what detectives could see, he'd been living a straight and narrow, law-abiding life since his release from prison. Back when Gloria was killed in 1984, 
Hernandez was 29 years old. Now, as badly as the police and prosecutor wanted to swoop in on this guy, they knew they had to play their cards right and build a strong case against him. By this point, 29 years had come and gone since Gloria was murdered, and the FBI was actually involved in the case too. The various law enforcement agencies worked together strategizing about the best way to nail Hernandez. They needed some sly method that elicited a confession out of him. So they concocted a story to get Hernandez to talk. One day, they knocked on his door under the pretense that they were looking into cases from the 70s and 80s and they hoped he could help give them information. It wasn't a total lie, but it wasn't the same as placing the dude under arrest. Anyway, Hernandez agreed to help. He volunteered to accompany the detectives to the police station without a lawyer. Now, I can't fathom why Hernandez fell for this and opted to talk to police unrepresented, but I want to believe that somewhere deep down in the trenches of his soul, maybe he knew that it was time to give up the ghost. But that doesn't mean he didn't try to outsmart detectives as they questioned him. He told them that he used to hang out right down the street from Gloria's house in a record store his family owned. He went on to describe the way he used to assault, quote unquote, fast tail girls. Gross. Anyway, tired of his toxic peacocking, detectives opened the file they had sitting on the desk and showed him the picture of Gloria. Hernandez took the photo and he looked at it for a good long while without uttering a word or moving a muscle. I believe that it was during this time when he realized the jig was up, but still, he fought it. He snapped out of whatever deep recess of his mind he'd ventured to and proceeded to pretend he didn't recognize the girl in the photo. So the next move detectives made was to ask him to take a polygraph exam or lie detector test, which he agreed to do. They asked him explicitly about Gloria and the injuries she sustained, but true to form, Hernandez chose to lie and subsequently failed the test. This was all working out beautifully for investigators who used that failed polygraph to turn up the heat of the interrogation. So they held him in a cell overnight, hoping the stress and pressure would compound and make him crack. And they didn't have to wait long for that. The next morning, the interrogation continued and the detective showed Hernandez more pictures. This time, not the modest smiling picture of pretty Gloria at school. No, this time they showed pictures of the crime scene and her body after Hernandez brutalized her. And it was this evidence of his own violence that undid him and all of his lies. He actually asked for the pictures to be covered, unable to look at the proof of his own monstrous ways. After the photos were covered, he sat for a moment in silence. And then, finally, the moment police had been waiting for poured out of him. Hernandez said that he thought about Gloria consistently over the last 29 years. He recalled to police that he saw Gloria walking to her friend's house that fateful cold December morning. He watched her and somehow convinced her to follow him down the stairwell behind the school. When she got to the bottom, that's when he attacked her. This was the confession investigators and Yvonne waited nearly 30 years for. Upon hearing the news from the chief of police himself, 
Yvonne could hardly believe all their prayers, patience, and perseverance finally paid off. At long last, she was able to make good on her promise to Gloria as she lay in her casket all those years ago. The monster who took her life was found and Gloria could rest peacefully. On Friday, May 23, 2014, Hernandez pled guilty to aggravated murder and rape and was sentenced to life in prison. Now, I know you're probably surprised that he wasn't found guilty of first-degree murder. However, during his confession the year before, Hernandez told investigators that he was high on drugs and out of control. He told them, quote, I killed her, but why and how, I don't know. I was fucked up. I was fucked up. End quote. Based on this and other facts of the case, the first degree murder charge was downgraded to second degree murder. Near the end of his sentencing, Hernandez addressed Yvonne directly, trying to convey regret and remorse for, quote, the depth of pain and sorrow that I have caused your family. I am the one to blame for all of this, end quote. Even though an apology and expression of remorse cannot absolve him from the unforgivable crime he committed against Gloria and her family, I couldn't help but appreciate that he said it anyway. So many times we don't see any remorse from these killers. So often they get away with their crimes and if brought to justice, sit stony-faced or smug even, unbothered by the awfulness of their own actions. I don't know. I just think his words mattered to Yvonne, a woman who saw humanity buried within the people who'd committed horrible, violent acts. She once said of her ministry work with inmates during her search for Hernandez Warren, quote, the prisoners I visited while searching for Gloria's murderer all shared a common story. They were as desperate for hope as I was. I went into these prisons looking for a killer, and instead, I found people in need, end quote. Doesn't that make you think? I know I sure did. Yvonne's words reminded me that at the end of the day, we are all living human experiences, and even in the most horrible circumstances, our shared humanity is the thread that connects us all. I don't know if I could be as forgiving if someone killed my daughter, but Yvonne's wise words are certainly food for thought. Alright folks, that's all for now, but I shared a link to Yvonne Pointer's website in the show notes. I think she's a remarkable woman, and I'm amazed by the way her sorrow and grief fueled her drive to make impactful change in the world. Also, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss the next episode of Massage Noir Murders. This is a Savvy Sounds production, written and produced by Renetta Rideout. <laughs>